And it's just like we wake up, we go through the motions, and it's that feeling of I've got to keep this whole thing going. I'm, I'm spinning plates here, man. Like, how am I going to keep this going? And I think a person has to be willing to trust that if I want to make a big change, that there's going to be some plates that might even hit the floor. And you know what? That's okay, because those aren't plates I want to keep spinning anyway. They're not plates that I want to keep, you know, in the air. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has inspired in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and executive coach Stephen McGee. My co-host John Ramstead recently brought Stephen to the Coach's Corner and asked him two questions that you and our audience wanted answered. One, how do I as a leader make a shift from a self-led life to a spirit-led life? And two, there's so much going on in my life, there's no balance. What steps could I take? If those questions apply to you, or if you have a friend that you've heard ask those exact same questions, be sure to listen to this episode and share it with them. Stephen is a very highly sought after coach, and the wisdom that he and John shared was even great for me to just sit back and listen to as we recorded this one. So here now is John with Stephen on this month's Coach's Corner on Eternal Leadership. All right, welcome to Eternal Leadership for another edition of Coach's Corner. Today we have Stephen McGee on. Uh, Stephen is my personal coach, and Stephen has been around coaching executives and leaders at the highest level, uh, both here in the U.S. and around the world for the last 25 years. Uh, He's just an incredible master student and teacher of leadership. So I'm really excited, Stephen, to have you on today to take two questions that we've gotten uh, two questions that we've received from our listeners, so I'm, I'm ready to dive in. And before we do that, I'd love for you to just take a couple minutes and just share a little bit about yourself and your background here before we start. Well, thank you, John. And first of all, uh, I really appreciate that we get to do this together. You and I have had some incredible conversations about the power of coaching and what happens when two people come together and and talk about issues or problems. And and so thank you so much for having me and looking forward to this as Coach's Corner. Uh, Having said that, you know, I, uh, boy, coaching sort of chose me. It's like I grew up in a way that, you know, I didn't have uh, a clear path for my life. It, It was kind of like, you know, I grew up with some humble beginnings. I had to figure things out at a pretty early age about who I am as an individual. I became a great student so that I could learn a lot about leadership, mostly, you know, so that I could find a way to live my life effectively. And from that place, I started to realize that there were other people that wanted the same information or the same technology or the same faith or the same spiritual focus. And so from that place, I started sharing about it and talking about it and, and, and eventually became, you know, a coach, a consultant, a speaker doing the work I'm doing today. And I know you've added just tremendous value in my life. And so let's dive into some of these questions because I know they're going to resonate with people listening because these came right from uh, some people we know and people that, uh, uh, you know, have gotten in touch with us. So the first one, Stephen, is how do I as a leader, and I think another word we could use is, you know, husband, father, businessman, uh, pastor, whatever the position you're in, but how do I make a shift from a self-led life to a spirit-led life? That's a deep <laughs> question that came in. 
So if, yeah. if that was a client of yours that came in and had that as an issue, how would you coach them? What questions would you ask them? Where would you start? Well, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this same, you know, question, John, as we go down the road here. But I think the first, the first thing is you, a person has to want to, you know, it, there's, I call it willingness. And if a person's living their life and they're living from what I would call an identity construct or an ego construct, where it's essentially all about themselves and they don't realize that that's hurting themselves and hurting others, they're probably not going to change. So it seems like most of the people that come to me and would ask a question like that, it's like they've had some realization about life and business. Maybe they've had a pain point or a failure and they start to ask the deeper question. So the first thing then is I think to realize that, and the second thing I think is to start to explore this idea of leading a spirit-led life. Like what would my life look like if I was really listening to what God had to say to me and what God would have me be and do? And so there's a huge shift there and one that not everybody seems to be willing to make, and yet it's one that I think is incredibly valuable for all of us as we look at our lives as leaders, husbands, fathers, you know, those kinds of things. Well, I think that's a great point. And, you know, to make a shift like that from a self-led life, which I did my whole life up through my accident primarily, to yeah. this spirit-led life, it really takes a lot of intentional work. It, it is not something that happens overnight. Uh, it takes some change. And where there's change, it is always a process. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And it's painful. So where I would really focus just to start to see where you're really at to have clarity of what has this self-led life gotten you? You know, what is your, your sense of fulfillment of joy and peace in your life? Do you have a sense of meaning and purpose? And if you really desire a life that truly has meaning, uh, you're living a life to its fullest uh, like in John ten ten, talking, you know, Christ gave us uh, came to give us life so that we may live it to the full. Uh, yeah. You know, you have to have real clarity of not only where you are but where you want to get to, because then I think you can really ask the questions of how do I make those shifts and who I am, how I see the world, my relationship with God that are going to bring me to that that new place. Yeah, and and I love what you're saying about the things like meaning and joy. Um, sometimes I'll work with or I'll be chatting with, you know, people that, that are saying, you know, gosh, I'm, I've succeeded materially and I have all of the things that I've ever wanted in my life and yet I'm still not fulfilled. I, I'm not having joy in, or meaning in the things that I'm doing or being in my life. And so, yeah, great access point. And then from there, I think a person, John, has to understand the difference between being interested in changing, which a lot of people are interested in a lot of things. There's nothing wrong with it. But I think a person who's going to bridge the gap from ego to spirit has to become committed to the shift, to transitioning, to crossing the bridge from an identity of what maybe they've had or I've had for most of my life uh, an ego construct to a spirit-led life that requires a tremendous commitment, at least from at least from my experience. Well, you know, you—that's you, a great word, identity. I, I think, you know, another word for a, a self-led life is if you really look at your identity. So that is, 
where are you getting your your sense of self-worth today? Where is it coming from? Or, or really a better way to ask that is, what are you allowing to give that to you? Is it the world? Is it your relationships? It's how you're seen in business, how your wife treats you, or is it really coming from a God-centered view of what he sees? And is he proud of what you're doing? And are you in alignment with the the longings that he's put in your heart and the will that he has for you to carry out? Yeah, and so a, a, a willingness then again to be you know adept at listening to what that is. I think you make an excellent point. Like, what does God want for me in my life, and how am I going to know what that is? There's a good question for me and for all of us to be considering. Now, Stephen, I know you've worked with a number of leaders that have you know been in this on this path. What are some of the obstacles that you've seen that have been roadblocks? toward making a shift that's, that's permanent? Well, what, what I've seen, and I've had this experience to some degree in my life, and John, maybe you can relate to it somewhat, but once we get, most of us listening have, you know, big, busy lives, and there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, uh, meaning, you know, I've got responsibilities in many different areas. I'm fulfilling upon different roles, maybe even from my son's soccer coach to CEO of a company or manager of a department, you know, all these kinds of things. And what happens is we sort of get on, we can get on automatic uh, robotic movement toward what we've you know, already created. And, and it's just like we wake up, we go through the motions. I used to call it like a gerbil on a treadmill. And it's that feeling of I've got to keep this whole thing going. I'm, I'm spinning plates here, man. Like, how am I going to keep this going? And I think a person has to be willing. I know I'm using a lot of metaphors, John, but you, a person has to be willing to take their hands off the wheel. And a person has to be willing to trust that, you know, if I want to make a big change, that there's going to be some plates that might even hit the floor. And you know what? That's okay, because those aren't plates I want to keep spinning anyway. They're not plates that I want to keep, you know, in the air. And, and so the willingness to let go again of that ego and what it might look like to everybody watching, I, I think that's a big one for people so I can get off the, the treadmill and re, you know, invent a new trajectory for my life and business. Um, those are my thoughts on it, John. What do you think? Well, I, I really like your analogy of the plate. So, if you look at all these things in our life, whether they're, you know, activities we're doing in business or boards that we're on, or you know, we're coaching, you know, do, being involved in that is that serving ourselves, or is that serving this this vision of this person I know I can become? You know, I think if we we shift our perspective of ourselves, not looking in the mirror and, you know, who am I, what am I all about, but we make a shift to a perspective of when God looks at us, what does he see? What does he see inside of us? What are the core values that he sowed into us and our gifts and our strengths and our talents? And do those activities in our life truly serve the person that God created us to be? Because I, I think there's so much infinite potential in each one of us that's totally untapped because we have these limiting beliefs and in, in priorities that are not in alignment with really who we are. Yeah, and, th and that can be, I think, incredibly painful. And, you know, I, I think about, 
you know, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And, and, and I love that because I want to surround myself with people that can point that out to me. I want to surround myself with others that are willing to say, hey, Stephen, you seem like you're out of alignment here. It seems like you're off course here. And, and have a willingness to set up a board of integrity in my life, which I encourage many of my clients to say, go out and create a board of integrity. Like, what's that? Say, well, it's going to be the most powerful board you've ever had because you're going to look out there and you're going to, you're going to pick six to eight people that you think live a life that you aspire to or are inspired by or attributes of those lives. And, and these are people also that are willing to say to you, hey, John, you're off on this, my friend. You're off on this, my brother. I know that you want to be on course here with God's will. What are you willing to do to get back on the road of life the way it was intended for you? Um, so I find that's a practical thing that we can do that can help us. You know, that's such a great concept. You know, right before you started talking, I was thinking of a quote. It is, the person that you're going to become is the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. And having a yeah. personal board of directors and surrounding yourself with people that are, you know, that have excellence in their life, that, you know, from that perspective, that have a spirit-led life, that are just accomplishing things that you want to do, that just have this joy and peace that you're longing for. And if you surround them yourselves with those kind of people that are not only holding you accountable, but they're modeling to you. So that's a question I would ask yourself, who in your life represents or that you have relationships with that are where you want to be? And if you don't have that, you know, what resources do you have in your life to go find those, to pull those in? And like you said, Stephen, ask them to be on uh, a board of integrity or a personal board. What a great idea. Indeed. I, I think it's, it's effective. And, I, and I'll tell you that I have one. And I'll tell you that sometimes I don't like what they have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean it isn't good for me. <laughs> Well, hey, let's roll into our, our, well, you know, before we roll into the next question, any final thoughts on that? Uh, final thought on it is just that it is so worth it for anybody listening that feels like, gosh, I've been leading most of my life from ego. And, you know, I'd say be cautious not to judge that too harshly and be mindful to move to this, this spirit-led life. Uh, again, I find that it's a miraculous way to live and well worth the commitment to, to get there. So I would just leave people with that thought. And, and again, there's, it's, it's not distinct, John. I think it's, it's, there's a progression there. Like I, I would say I turned my life over to God in 1994, and yet I'm, there's layers to it. I'm continuing to learn about leading a spirit-led life. So there's levels to it as well. It's not to say I'm never in my ego either. I am, but for less time, and I'm more aware of it than I used to be. Well, and that's a great concept too of self-forgiveness. We need to do that sometimes just so we can have some clarity to just keep moving forward and we don't get stuck and stopped in our tracks on this, on that path. Absolutely. So here's the second question. This is a great question that came in. Uh, it's pretty simply stated. There's so much going on in my life right now. I feel overwhelmed, have no balance. What steps should I take? 
So I don't know yeah. the context behind this, but I sure can relate to it from my own life. So if that was a client of yours, Stephen, where would you start? Well, uh, where I would start and where I have started in the past with people that bring this forward and again in my own life is a realization that I think people that buy into this story of busyness, and if you think about it, our whole society is based on, you know, people are saying, how are you? I'm busy. You know, I've got a lot going on. Well, of course. I mean, when you think of the moving pieces in most people's lives, there's a tremendous amount to do. There's information that we're, that's being pushed on us. I mean, the Internet, technology, email, all these devices that over time can have a person experiencing overwhelm. But the first thing I think we have to do is stop the story. So what do I mean by that? When people come to me and, you know, they might say to me, Stephen, I'd like to book time with you. And I remember even when we talked, John, the first time you called up and you said, this is, you know, what I'm thinking. I'd like to chat with you. I don't remember saying to you, I'm busy. Let's put that out, you know, for a month. I remember saying, let's book it when you're available. And, and it was, I think, the next day or maybe even that day that we got to talk. The point is that I don't want to buy into being busy. I don't want to buy into the story that I'm constantly busy. So I'll tell people, no, I'm not really that busy because I want every part of my, of my life to come from a place of being present and not being overwhelmed. So, John, can you hear what I'm saying in terms of the story that people have about being busy? And I'm not saying people are not busy. I'm just saying that it's perpetuating itself. Well, yeah, and I think I think a lot of what creates the busyness and the overwhelm in people's life is also a mindset. And what I've seen in a lot of people that really struggle with this, they're really geared toward pleasing people. They have a real hard time at saying no. And what I would ask them is really, are you do you have a deep understanding and clarity of you know what is your purpose? What are you really trying to accomplish? Does everything that you're committing your time and your life toward move things uh, in the direction with any kind of velocity uh, toward the outcomes that you want in your life? Or are you just existing in the moment with really no direction? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love, love, love what you're saying because I've, I've said to people, and these are, these are kind of fighting words a little bit, but I think it makes a strong point for people to look at that very busy people are lazy people. And, and they just really think, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm working, but you're not really prioritizing, as you're saying, John, what are the key things in my life that are musts? And what are the things that I need to say no to? And that's where the discipline comes in for an individual to learn to say no and disengage from the things that are not my priorities. And from that place, there is an opening which creates, you know, more space on the calendar, more time to introspect, more time to reflect, and more time to be effective. So that's one of the things I'll talk with my clients about is the, the idea that if I'm overwhelmed, I need to get clear on my priorities and I, I need to learn the most powerful word in the English language at times can be no. 
I can't do that. No, I'm not having coffee without a clear objective of what this meaning is about. You know, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I think that can, that can help us all, John. Well, if we start, you know, as we start developing that no muscle, there has to be a framework put in place because this is a, a change in habit for a lot of people. So what questions would you ask somebody, Stephen, to really understand uh, a filter, so to speak, on whether saying yes to this is going to be significant in my life and I need to do it, or this is something that just isn't in alignment with what I'm trying to accomplish? And for some people, yeah. that is a radical change to how they're looking at what's on their calendar in just the next two weeks. Well, exactly. And I think you, you know, in the question that you just asked, John, which is a great question, there's the answer too, which is, does this map or connect directly to one of my objectives? Does this meeting, uh, does this lunch, you know, does this email all relate? to what my key objectives are or not. And, and if not, I've just got to get better at clearing out those priorities. When, when I was doing work many years ago at Microsoft, during, it, was, it was just still in the entrepreneurial curve of Microsoft, but moving into growth phase, you know, at the time, email was very, I'm gonna use the term sexy, because people used to brag about how many emails they got a day. And you were doing I mean, work there I, as a leadership coach, correct? You weren't. You weren't. That's right. I, I was doing work there as a leadership consultant. But I, I started to point out that doing email is not doing your job. It's doing email, and a lot of emails that were that these individuals were doing had nothing to do with their objectives, even though they were working, you know, eighteen hours. And I'm not exaggerating. Eighteen hours a day. Some of them slept on the couch in those days. But it doesn't mean because someone sends me an email, it has anything to do with my objectives. So this is where we start to get really clear and understanding that overwhelm is something we're allowing in our lives rather than that, you know, that we have to accept it as a part of our lives. Yeah, you know, and then it becomes a habit because, you know, the second part of the question was balance. I was just working with a client of mine. I asked him to go home and ask his kids had four four kids and his wife, uh, what you know how they view him at night. And one of his, uh, I think it was wow, a seven yeah. year old, said, "Dad's always on the phone." Yeah. And you know what? There's there's like this. We get we get like this uh, instant reward in our brain. There's actually neurochemistry behind it. When you hear the ding and you look at your email and you know, I see it's from Stephen and I get back to you, I I just accomplished a task. I actually feel good in that moment actually about doing that but i'm bringing that overwhelm that busyness now into my family and it's impacting my relationships so as we coach through this what we what he came up with on his own was he was going to take his phone and turn it off and hand it to his wife from seven o'clock at night until 10 then he would check it right before he went to bed he just could not give it up all night but, you know, there's practical things that we can do if we get some, you know, clarity on what's important to us. And in this, this guy's case, it was he, his, his important relationships, his wife, his kids were languishing because he could not, this habit was, was just infiltrating every part of his life. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you're, you're bringing in a really important point, I think, for any of us listening to this is that technology 
has started to run us rather than us running technology. You know, email is a great tool. The phone is a great tool. Text is a great tool. But it's become, you know, we're so uh, easily accessed that we feel like we have to do these three-minute response times. And, you know, we don't. We get to set the boundaries. We get to use the, tech, the tool of technology to serve, uh, serve our greater business, our greater our lives. And so anyway, I love what you're saying as a practical thing, like turn that thing off. And get, remember the muscle of just being with my family, the, the muscle meaning the feeling and the presence of being with another human being without checking my phone every two seconds. So love what you're saying as a practical example of overwhelm and becoming more prioritized. So, you know, that brings, that brings to the next point, though. There's always a reason behind the reason. So there's there's a lot of fundamental issues that people need to really think about and work on when we're considering this whole topic of balance. I, I, I'm sure you hear it a lot from your clients, Stephen, uh, about balance, that they desire it, it's not there. Where do you work with them on just mindset when that is uh, the situation? Well, I think that the, the mindset that a lot of people want that they don't have is the mindset of peace and calm. And I, I believe that we all have peace and calm inside of us and that we, again, have to make up our minds that this is something we're committed to. And what are we willing to do to have something? And, and what, what's it going to require? Um, well, it's, it's going to require behavior changes. It's going to require that I stop doing something so that I can be peaceful and have more of that in my life. Now, it's, it's also true that many of us listening are going, God, Stephen, you don't understand, man. I am booked from, you know, 5.30 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. And I, first I would say that's a choice. And, and, and yes, that's your schedule. But there's also this idea of you can only be doing what you're doing in a moment. And if I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next, then I'm not present. And if I'm not present, I'm not peaceful. So there's this idea of when I'm sitting with, I always say to people, there's only one client I have, and that's the client I'm sitting in front of right now. So that I can be peaceful and present with that client, and I'm not thinking about the list of tasks that I have to do later. So that's how I see it, John. I mean, in terms of mindset, what's your experience with all that? Well, I think that... You know, the concept of being present, uh, and it's difficult. There's so much going on. But if it's a, a priority to just develop a, a deep, intimate relationship with your your partner or with your kids or, you know, you talked about before, just, uh, you know, listening uh, at a deep level to people. Uh, there's another uh, episode that you talked about, uh, a deep dive into leadership, and listening was a big thing you talked about Uh but being present requires an intentional act and a choice to do that. And all these things in, in life that hook us into the self-talk that just runs in the background. I'm sure we've all been there. You're talking with somebody and all of a sudden you start thinking about something and, and you actually come back present into the conversation like 30 seconds later and you have no idea what the person said. And, <laughs> right. and you're, you're trying to just you know kind of keep up the face that, yeah, I was actually listening. 
but that is a big sign. Notice when that ha- I, I have people notice when that's happening in their life. Journal and write those periods down. And it's amazing when people start to do that. The the percentage of time that they're not present just in normal conversations is significant and it's eye-opening to them when they actually turn a little eye of awareness on that yeah it's a it's a big one and i think you know listening is one of those areas for sure there's a there's a practical thing that has really helped me with listening and maybe some others can get some value from this but when i had the awareness that listening did not mean agree agreement because the way I grew up was, you know, I would be listening, but then I'd be thinking about what I was going to say because I didn't agree with what the person was saying. So you're trying so to I think of the answer to sound smart trying, before they're done talking. Yeah, the answer or, boy, that's not right. Here's how I heard it or here's what I would do. And, you know, all that's going on in my mind while I'm not listening, while I'm pretending that I'm listening, so I'm not <laughs> present. Mm-hmm. So this, this awareness for me was like listening doesn't mean agreement. It just means I'm listening. And it was really, it was absolutely cool for me to have that realization because now I could, re- I could really listen. And I felt like I took about three bricks out of my backpack. Like, who said I have to have the answer or, or refute that? Nobody did. Listening does not mean agreement. <laughs> well, you know, another piece of that, you know, as we listen from that perspective, it's like we have an agenda. We're listening on things that are either moving our agenda forward or or not, either that we how we want to be seen or perceived uh, by the other person. So if we just let go of our agenda and really focus on that other person and just listen deeply, not just for the words they're saying, but the emotions behind it, their mindsets, their perspectives, what comes out of that naturally when it's time for you to talk is a follow-up question that's focused on them and it drives such more productive and deeper relationships when you can just let go of all that self-talk and just focus on the person that you're there being present with. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, maybe maybe some people have heard this concept before, but there was a, I believe, a psychologist. His name was Carl Rogers, and later he was known for Rogerian theory. But he he did this very simple thing called perception checking, which really meant. All I'm going to do is I'm going to sit and listen. I'm going to go, John, you know, basically what I just heard you say is. So I really had to listen if I'm going to do that. But anyway, the point is that this man built an entire career, a well-known career, a lucrative career on just doing that, on just perception checking because of the intimacy and the relationships that he built with people just by listening and, and then, you know, perception checking back to the person what he'd heard them say wow what great advice so you know as we wrap up here on this overwhelm balance listening being present any any just final thoughts here Stephen? then we'll wrap up you know the, the just the final thought on it is that overwhelm is it's a feeling inside and if it's a feeling inside it can be shifted it doesn't have to be something we buy into to live in overwhelm for the rest of our lives. And I think we have to put a marker in the sand and say, you know, no more of this. I'm going to make extrinsic changes and I'm going to make intrinsic changes so that I can live my life 
from a place of more peace and greater calm. And it's up to us to do it. Nobody's going to do that for us. Yeah, and I think uh, what I would wrap up with is if you are overwhelmed and your life is out of balance, it's a choice. You've made the choice to be in that place. And there is a clear path out of that place, but you have to, you're going to have to make some changes, you know, get around uh, people that have done that, get a coach, find somebody to mentor you. But if you want a different result, just take the first step forward and move in the direction toward the life that is waiting for you. Uh, it's, it's peaceful, it's full of joy, and it's available. And a lot of people yeah. don't think that it's available. Yeah, well said. All right. Well, thank you, Stephen, for your time. That was fantastic. If anybody wants to get in touch with Stephen, what's the best way for people to uh, to contact you? You know, the best way is my website, which is McGee, which is spelled M-C-G-H-E-E, leadership, McGeeLeadership.com. Great. And we'll also put that, we'll have a, a post about this episode with uh, the resources in there on our website, which is eternalleadership.com. Just search McGee, M-C-G-H-E-E. And thank you all very much for listening. John, thank you so much. If you liked what Stephen had to say, be sure to stay tuned in March when John and I interview Stephen about his story and so much more. You can learn about Stephen by going to eternalleadership.com and searching the podcast tab for episode number 18 or by looking in the info embedded in this MP3. For example, if you're listening to this on the podcast app on an iPhone, just click on the Eternal Leadership logo as you're listening and you'll see a summary with links just pop up. Cool, huh? Special thanks for those of you that have shared us on social media or with your friends, as well as those of you that have given us feedback. We love to hear what you like, what you'd like us to talk about, any guests you think would be great, and you just sharing your stories. Just this week, John and I heard from a listener who had a liver transplant a few months ago, and she shared about how she's in a bit of a halftime journey in her life. You're in our prayers, Annette. Speaking of halftime, next time on Eternal Leadership, Halftime Institute CEO Dean Nywolny. Do you want to store up treasures on earth? Do you want to store up treasures on heaven? And do you believe that? And I want to be crystal clear on something here. What I'm saying is it doesn't mean leaving what you're doing necessarily, because the majority of folks who go through halftime don't leave what they're doing. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.